You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Hey everyone, it's me, D.B. Spitzer, just saying, hope you're all doing well. I'm feeling better. I hope you're feeling good, too. So, hey, we've got part nine of Great... Um, I, I always forget the title. You know what it is. You, you heard the other parts of it. Uh, yeah, so I think we're, we're on uh, other uh, cyclones or typhoons. I'm not 100% sure. It will say in the show notes. So... Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your ma, tell your pa, or I'll ship you down to Sathagwa. That's right. Uh, yeah, uh, we're on Facebook. We are on Instagram. We are on the Twitter, and we are People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, PGTTCM.com, and at PGTTCM on all of the social medias that I just mentioned. Yeah, thank you so much, and here's the show. One more thing. If you're going to be here on Thursday to listen to People's Guide to the Cthulhu episode, the main episode, uh, Ken Heights going to be talking about Abdul Al-Hazred. So, yeah, it's going to be pretty cool. Check that out. All right, and here we go with the show. Great Disasters and Horrors in the World's History by Alan H. Godby. Chapter 9, Perils of the Sea. Daughter, the night was made for sleep. Why dost thou moan? Why dost thou weep? Wherefore thy mournful vigil keep? Daughter, daughter, my daughter. Mother, to me the night wind cries. Cold on the sands thy lover lies. With none to close his glazed eyes. Nello, Nello, my Nello. The storm at sea, from the days of David to the present, the poet and the novelist have taxed their energies to portray the perils of those who go down into the deep in ships. The ravages of the hurricane on shore are confined largely to those portions of the world unknown to the ancients. But the treacherous deep has been sung in every age. We may hardly choose which of the myriad wrecks to describe. St. Paul's perilous voyage to Rome is familiar wherever the gospel is preached. Jonah has furnished a comparison for the unlucky for centuries. Virgil has sung of the perils of exiled Aeneas in his search for a foreign home. The sea has dangers peculiarly its own, and likewise charms possessed by nothing else in nature. Everyone may have heard of the little earnest woman, who at her first sight of the ocean sighed, Ah, at last, here is something there is enough of. The sailor knows the ocean's every mood, and may sing with Barry Cornwell. He sinks into thy depths with bubbling groan, without a grave, unknelled, unconfined, and unknown. I love, oh how I love to ride, on the fierce foaming bursting, when every wind wave drowns the moon, on whistles aloft his tempest too, and tells how groweth the world below, and why the southwest blasts do blow. Or if his mind be better adapted for homelier ditties, he may hum. The wind blew a hurricane, the sea was mountains rolling. When Barney Bumpland turned his quid and said to Billy Bolin, A strong sou'wester's blowin', Billy, don't you hear it roar now? How I pity all unhappy folks as lives upon the shore now. Or if becalmed and forced for days to lie beneath a scorching tropical sun, as idly as a painted ship upon a painted ocean, 
the inevitable dreariness of the wide waste of scarcely heaving water will oppress the mind till the sailor may murmur so lonely twas that god himself scarce seemed there to be it is beyond dispute that the sea has been one of the most important factors in civilizations ancient and modern greece was no longer supreme in power when her naval supremacy was gone rome was not mistress of the world till she became mistress of the mediterranean not a single great system of civilization has originated in districts far inland the great centers greece rome asia minor egypt spain england all that have wielded unusual power are sea-coasts peninsulas or islands the jews became prominent as a trader from the day jewish vessels sailed from tarshish to some extent these facts must be considered as results of position only however powerful the tendencies or traits of any particular stock it is not merely as a highway for commerce and ready intercommunication that the seas have enriched mankind the submarine world presents views as strange and weirdly beautiful as the ancient myths of nymphs and naiads deep in the wave lies a coral grove where the purple mullet and goldfish rove where the sea flower spreads its leaves of blue that never were wet with falling dew but in bright and changeful beauty shine far down in the green and glassy brine and thousands of human race depend entirely upon the products of the sea for a livelihood the fish taken as food would be an enormous item in any year but the billows that surge over the deep conceal far more treasure than these full many a gem of purest ray serene the dark unfathomed caves of ocean here all our pearls nearly all our amber sponges and as beautiful and delicate as spun glass corals of infinite number and variety all these and more we must obtain from the depths of the sea yet while eagerness for gain leads men to brave countless perils to obtain these treasures thousands of sad hearts will deem them dearly bought and recall the more precious treasures of the deep yet more the billows and the depths have more high hearts and brave are gathered to thy breast they hear not now the booming waters roar the battle thunders will not break their rest keep thy red gold and gems the stormy grave give back the true and brave give back the lost and lovely those for whom the place was kept at board and hearth so long the prayer went up through midnight's breathless gloom and the vain yearning woke midst festive song hold fast thy buried isles thy towers are thrown but all is not thine own to thee the love of woman hath gone down dark flow the tides o'er manhood's noble head for youth's bright locks and beauty's flowery crown yet must thou hear a voice restore the dead or shall reclaim her precious things from thee restore the dead thou see like the atmosphere the ocean has its great constant currents which play an important part in the economy of nature these flow steadily on one beneath another and are little affected by atmospheric disturbances the presence of submarine currents is often shown by icebergs moving steadily onward against a surface current and moderate wind but there is nothing in the sea so far as known that corresponds to the variable winds or local currents of the atmosphere 
Whereas water is so much heavier than air, its equilibrium is not so easily disturbed by unusual heating. And moreover, it does not expand under the influence of heat to an extent in the least approaching the expansion of the air. Hence, its currents are steady and slow moving. And, however much they affect climate and winds by the heating or cooling of the air above them, they offer no obstacle worthy of note to the sailor. The latter must then fear only the power of the storm. And were submarine vessels readily constructed and navigated, the storm would lose its terrors. For, when the wrathful spirit of storms has made the top of the wave his own, and when the ship from his fury flies, when the myriad voices of ocean roar, when the wind god frowns in the murky skies, and demons are waiting the wreck on shore, then far below in the peaceful sea the purple mullet and goldfish rove, where the waters murmur tranquilly through the bending twigs and the coral grove. It should be said, however, that the sea and storm are not responsible for all the disasters at sea, for years the greatest losses of life and property were due to the greed and conscienceless owners who sent rotten tubs to sea. Fearfully overlooked and heavily insured, certain to make a good profit whether they perished or no. As for the sailors, they were not worth considering. There were plenty to be obtained. Human life is the cheapest commodity in any market. By a liberal spending of this currency, men became Alexanders, or Caesars, or Solas, or Marii. Henceforth, they are great. These abuses were especially prevalent in England, the greatest of maritime powers. Nor were they corrected till Mr. Samuel Plimsoll, in 1870, began a series of earnest efforts to have a systematic inspection organized. He made a startling arraignment of the atrocious methods of the land sharks. He wrote in 1873, No means are neglected by Parliament to provide for the safety of life ashore, and yet, as I said before, you may build a ship in any way you please. You may use timber utterly unfit. You may use it in quantity utterly inadequate. But no one has any authority to interfere with you may even buy an old ship, 250 tons, burdened by auction for 50 pounds, sold to be broken up. Because extremely old and rotten, she had a narrow escape on her last voyage, and had suffered so severely that she was quite unfit to go to sea again, without more being spent in repairs upon her than she would be worth when done. Instead of breaking up this old ship, bought for four shillings per ton, the cost of the new ship being from £10 to £14 per ton. As was expected, you may give her a coat of paint. She is too rotten for caulking, and to the dismay of her late owners, you may prepare to send her to sea. You may be remonstrated with, in the strongest terms, against doing so, even to being told that if you persist, and the men are lost, you deserve to be tried for manslaughter. You may engage men in another port, and they, having signed articles without seeing the ship, you may send them to the port where the ship lies, in the custody of the mariner. You may then, after rechristening the ship, which ought not to be allowed, if you have managed to insure her heavily, load her until the main deck is within two feet of the water amidships, and send her to sea. Nobody can prevent you. Nay, more, if the men become riotous, you may arrest them without a magistrate's warrant and take them to prison. 
and the magistrates, who have no choice, they have not to make but only to administer the law, will commit them to prison for twelve weeks with hard labor. Or better still for you, you may send a policeman on board to overawe the mutineers and induce them to do their duty. And then, if the ship is lost with all hands, you will gain a large sum of money and you will be asked no questions, as no inquiry will ever be held over those unfortunate men, unless, which has only happened once, I think, some member of the house asks for inquiry. The river policeman, who in one case threatened a refractory crew with imprisonment and urged them to do their duty, told me afterwards, when they were all drowned, that he and his colleagues at the riverside station had spoken to each other about the ship being dreadfully overloaded as she passed their station on the river before he went on board to urge duty and that he then when he saw me rude badly that he had not locked them up without talk as then they wouldn't have been drowned he also found that some shipbuilders put together mere floating coffins using devils or dummy bolts or bolt heads without any shaft to present the appearance of a staunchly built vessel. The old shell would founder in the first strong breeze. Hundreds of examples came in his way of entire crews lost in these bolts. What such losses meant to the poor dependent families, or home, we may imagine, but may not readily portray. Another prolific source of disaster was the neglect to supply captains with the proper charts. There are notable instances of great vessels so lost. One ship in cargo value $350,000 was lost near Balloon because the captain's chart had not the lights properly marked on it. The great steamer Deutschland, having a large number of German immigrants on board, ran on an unmarked shoal near the mouth of the Thames, December 30, 1875, and was lost. The vessel was fourteen hours on the shoal in the winter storm, ere her signals of distress were perceived. Fifty-seven of her passengers had been lost in the heavy sea ere help reached her. Ship after ship has left their port, never to be heard of again, whose crews might have still been in peace and comfort with their families, had the owners had the least trace of humanity, or regard for simple justice. A single example will illustrate. In a hovel, Plimsoll found a young wife, scrubbing for a living, trying to support herself and three children. She had a loving husband, but very lately. But the owner of the ship on which he served, the S. Blake N., was a very needy man, who insured her for £3,000 more than she had cost him. So if she sank, he would gain all this. While one voyage, she was loaded under the owner's personal superintendence. She was loaded so deeply that the dockmaster pointed her out to a friend as she left the dock, and said emphatically, That ship will never reach her destination. She never did, for she was lost with all hands, twenty men and boys. Under the owner's personal superintendence, could cool, calculating villainy go any further? Yet this is but one out of many scores. Yet despite the apparent frequency of complaints from those who suffered most by these practices, the abuses had grown up so gradually that the masses of the people had come to accept them as almost a necessary concomitant of naval matters, while holding out stoutly for the difference of a penny more or less in wages. There was no effort at concerted action for better treatment. 
men accustomed to risking their lives daily came to look upon the matter as of no great consequence only the worst possible vessels were very seriously objected to and these usually had little difficulty in obtaining crews of men long out of employment who would accept any risk rather than remain a burden to their friends and families however the latter might object to the proceeding so thousands went to a watery grave official records of the period showed that one half the losses at sea were the result of sending out rotten hulks yet when reforms were suggested the promoters were frequently told that if such things did not properly regulate themselves as a matter of political economy there was no use striving for a change cool weighing of human life against gold even in staunch ships the accommodations provided for the sailors were of the meanest sort men might wade to their bunks through water or be packed in filthy forecastle-like herrings they were fed on salt horse and moldy biscuit they might rot with scurvy if the ship got to port with her cargo it made little difference how the crew fared our own ships and the russian and french vessels the investigator found far superior in treatment of the sailor and the majority of the english owners did well by their crews but Plimsoll's efforts induced great improvement compulsory survey and no overloading were his main remedies for the prevention of the terrible loss of life in the mercantile marine he cites two cases of great firms the first engaged in the coal carrying and the second in the guano trade who do not permit overloading and the first in fifteen years had not out of a large fleet of steamers lost a single vessel although they made from fifty to seventy double trips per year the second case deserves particular mention after the year eighteen sixty the firm of anthony gibbs and company of london took a contract from the peruvian government to charter and load ships from the chincha islands with guano and as many as three or four hundred ships left those islands annually for different parts of the world at first they were allowed to load and proceed to sea without inspection or surveying and were permitted to load as deeply as the masters thought fit what was the result accidents and losses were reported every few years and many of their ships foundered at sea some with all hands on board when the head of the house of lima peru introduced proper surveying before loading to discover what repairs were needed etc allowing no overloading and not permitting the ships to go to sea without full inspection of her pumps and gear a sudden and wonderful change took place and for years after not one of these ships foundered at sea there is no sadder record than that which has been made of many a gallant vessel sailing with the best prospects missing or never heard of occasionally the mysterious fate of some of these vessels has been revealed by the picking up of sealed bottles containing brief records of the disastrous end of the missing ships but such cases are rare in comparison with the vast majority of the disasters for the greatest peril to a vessel in a storm is the vicinity of a reef or shoal in the open sea there is comparative safety even in a considerable gale for good seamen but a shoal a rocky coast may be fatal to the vessel striking even though the wind be but moderate so nearly all disasters occur along shore and the time is past in which it is possible for a vessel to be lost on an unknown or uninhabited coast 
Hence, soon or late, the lot nearly every vessel is known. Occasionally, a vessel has been abandoned or unseaworthy or unmanageable and has surprised those abandoning her by drifting around for months in the paths of other vessels and occasionally fouling with some of them to their serious injury. The polar seas present peculiar perils to the navigator. Almost everyone has heard of the ill-fated Franklin expedition. Even though others may not be familiar, the attempts to find a northwest passage have long ceased, it being disputable that it is useless though found. The great expeditions of later years have been equipped purely from a scientific standpoint. No conceivable benefit to commerce can result therefrom, but the vast majority of fatalities in the polar seas have not been among the great exploring expeditions, any more than the majority of disasters in warmer climes are among first-class passenger steamers. The world over, it is the coasting vessels, the fishing smacks, the second and third-class freighters that swell the lists of losses at sea and in the polar seas the most numerous disasters are among the whaling and sealing vessels, which visit the reasons season after season. Many a vessel has been crushed like an eggshell amid the enormous masses of ice. Often a vessel seemingly hopelessly imprisoned has been abandoned by the crew, only to be freed by some caprice of the winds and picked up by some other crew. And again, there have been instances of vessels seen resting in masses of ice far above the water, raised by continual tilting and piling of ice cakes beneath. Sometimes a vessel has floated about thus for a considerable period. Comparatively speaking, losses of life have been small in proportion to the dangers and property losses. Where so many vessels are in the same region at a time, the crew of a crushed ship can generally reach another vessel without great difficulty. But years ago, when the whaling fleet was smaller and steam had not been called the seaman's aid, the peril of life was greater, and many is a vessel that sailed away never to be heard of again. One of the best stories illustrating this class of dangers is that of the whale ship Rufus. A whaling vessel in 1774 found an abandoned ship and on boarding her found the crew scattered about in the postures assumed when they first yielded to the fatal sleep. The tale in verse and words remembering, but seldom or never seen, was told many years ago by an unknown author. The distinctness and simplicity of the style render the poem worth preserving, aside from the interest of the story. The ship Rufus, sing not my muse of brightening fields of ether fair displayed, of whispering bowers where Zephyr yields his fragrance to the glade, but haste thee to the frozen throne, the starry blue domain, where winter monarch dread and lone asserts his iron reign. Now Europe's northern cape recedes, and Iceland's utmost shore, the sailor turns his face and heeds those viewless forms no more. For mountains distant yet but bright, edging the arctic tide, these spiry flames and dancing light at masthead are descried. For sea and glittering points the coast divides the mountain chain, on waves afar in silence tossed trembles athwart the main. Anon the mariner looks forth and scans with cheerless brow 
Bored onward by the angry north, an arctic navy now. How shall the good ship Rufus speed? How live? the master cried. God send us help in time of need. Amen, the crew replied. Each ice-built crag and snowy cliff chases the foaming spray. And mid those moving alps, the skiff must find her destined way. Her destined way, her destined fate, now drops the needle gale. The waves become a glassy plate, the bark forbears to sail. Prisoned of God, by mountains pent, fuel and food consumed. Ask not of me the dire event, nor why they thus were doomed. Again borne forth by waves and wind, and spread a venturous sail, mid rocks of massy ice to find the scarce less massy whale. The optic tube now aids the eye and scans the distant sea. A distant speck they now descry, a speck, what can it be? What can it be, inquire the men, an iceberg or a sail? As yet the crew inquire in vain, and doubt must yet prevail. Yes, doubt prevails, and strengthens still, though fast the object nears. Sure tis no sail which at the will of wind and billows steers. Fancy still limbs out forms uncouth, yet scarce herself persuades. But fancy now gives place to truth, more startling than her shades. A dreary hull with shattered mast, and sails of strangest guise, and cordage fluttering in the blast, now meets their wondering eyes. The bark the hail in many a groan, the bellowing shrouds reply, but bellowing shrouds respond alone, no voice returns the cry. Strange, for as near with curious haste, they ply and glance within, lo, at the cabin window placed, a form is dimly seen. They mount the floating ruin now, her deck is overlaid. Man's height encrusted ice and snow, which shows no human tread. To find the hatch beneath the drift, they all their efforts lend. Its frozen planks at length they lift, and fearfully descend. Now pause they at the cabin door, now enter as they will. Its quiet inmate, as before, sits unconcerned and still. With pen in hand and half reclined like those in thoughtful moods, to noises deaf, to visions blind, he cares not who intrudes. No, for a filmy mold invests his long untroubled brow. His eyeballs green sought not his guests, nor can he turn them now. A crumbling page before him lay, which told the unspoken woe. Our cabin fire went out today, food spent five days ago. Locked in the ice three weeks, our crew all dead, all hope is o'er. Ship Rufus, 1762, one hour, and I'm no more. Now horror on the soul sunk down on all who viewed the scene. Twelve arctic winters then had flown since this a corpse had been. Twelve years on polar surges tossed by northern blasts conveyed, destroyed, preserved by iron frost, her crew were statues made. Perchance this fate-directed prow had crossed neath cloudless skies, the pole which jealous nature now shuts out from human eyes. Perchance the dreamed of northern way this guileless keel had plowed, while billows with the helm did play, and wild winds trimmed the shroud. Say when, stern spirits of the north, they found their watery grave, or do ye still in awful mirth toss them from wave to wave? End of chapter 9 Recording by Vivian Weaver Thank you much, Vivian Weaver, for reading that. Hey, everyone, it's me, D.B. Spitzer, and just saying, hey, if you enjoyed that, why don't you check out the uh, 
the pgttcm.com. Check out the show notes uh, and find a link to where we've got t-shirts, where you can help us out on Patreon. And, you know, if you just want to, like, send Dave and I a couple of bucks so that we can, uh, I don't know, have a, a nice meal and have a meeting to, like, talk about structuring the show or, you know, so that we can go to comic book conventions and high-five you and you can see me in my cool, uh, I don't know. I haven't decided what I'm going to dress this year as. Anyway, uh, we'll see you out there. Hope you're all doing well. And thanks for listening. And, uh, yeah, everyone all across the world, thank you for listening. Everyone in Sweden, everyone in the UK, everyone in Canada, everyone in... Oh, what am I doing? I'm getting on the internet right now, and I'm double-checking where all of our major listeners are coming from right now and you can turn it off right now i hope you have a great rest of your day i hope you had a great commute i hope you are having a good whatever you're doing while you're listening to this and if you want to skip to the next one do it but uh we just want to say thank you everyone who's been listening in the united states finland the united kingdom sweden australia canada iran New Zealand, the Philippines, Germany, Brazil, India, France, Norway, uh, India, France, Norway, Spain, Estonia, Netherlands, Switzerland, Guam, the Ukraine, Indonesia, Russia, Denmark, Poland, Vietnam, Thailand, South Africa, Montenegro, the Czech Republic, and Australia, Belgium, China, Gabon, Greece, Italy, Morocco, Mexico, Puerto Rico, Uganda, Oh, and there's the unknown. Okay, all right. It was taking a while to uh, load up. So yeah, that is the countries. Everyone who's listening to us in order of how many there are. So great job, everyone. Keep up the good work. Tell your friends. And uh, yeah, thank you for listening to the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Have a good day. And we will see you on Thursday with Ken Height talking about um, Abdul Al-Hazrat. Okay, cool. See you later. Oh, that's not the stop button, that's the other button.